Greetings, everybody. Welcome back to the Classroom 33 podcast. I'm Pastor Dustin here with Steve Prudian. And today we are finally back after illness and weather and Emerge all sorts and one, of things. And an emergency last week. And an emergency last week. Um, we are finally back to get into part three of the throne room of God. Steve, how have you been? How have I been? <laughs> Let me put it to you this Didn't way. Didn't expect to be blindsided by that today, did you? I'm stubbornly pushing through some difficulties. Okay. Okay. Understood. Say no more. All right. The Throne Room of God. Mm -hmm. Part 3. Revelation Chapter 4. Who are the characters? We've got John, the Jesus or the disciple whom Jesus loved. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> okay. Well, there's a lot of Johns in the Bible. We uh -huh. got to clarify. This is this is John, the author of the Gospel of John, and the only disciple who was at the cross. The disciple who, in the upper room at the Last Supper, when they were talking about Jesus needing to go and die uh, so he could come back. Um, Jesus mentioned, pointed at John and says, if I want him to remain alive until I come back, what is that to you? That's my choice. Um, so this is that John that we're talking about. Do you know the greatest honor that Jesus gave John, what it was? His mother. He entrusted his mother's care to him. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And John led the church in Ephesus for a number of years and um, did a whole bunch of other things. But he got in trouble with Rome, and he is exiled to this island. Um, and while he is there, he gets this vision. Christ, you know, Christ comes to vision. You know why he was exiled? Uh, because the boiling oil that they poured on his head didn't work. They couldn't kill him. <laughs> they couldn't kill him. <laughs> they tried. They couldn't kill him. Um, so he's exiled instead. And he's on this island, and he has a vision. He's visited by Jesus. And after introducing, you know, re reacquainting, you know, Jesus saying, you know, you don't have to be afraid. Yes, I am who you think I am. And your work isn't done yet. You got more stuff to do. He has him write seven letters. And then he takes him in the spirit to the throne room of God. And that's where we're at. So we've got John, Jesus, we've got God, and we got some other characters as well that we will see as we venture into this. That's true. Mm -hmm. John is actually another confirmation. Yes. That what Daniel talked about yep. does exist. What Isaiah talked about does exist. What Ezekiel talked about does exist. So if you don't believe that there's a heaven and a God there, well, there's other people who say there is. Yes. 
Yes, there is. All right, so John is being taken to the throne room of God in spirit. And what does that mean? That means um, in the Greek, he's having a vision. He is, he's not experiencing it in a bodily form. He's experiencing it in his mind or in his soul that he's experiencing this. This is not a physical change of location for his body. So he's having this vision. And it's not the first one of the like that we've seen. This is, if you've read your Bible, this is not a new experience. Because um, after, after Paul's blinded on the Damascus Road, mm -hmm. he has a vision of Christ. Um, actually, at the Damascus he, Road. At the Damascus at Road. He, well, he, and then there's a, then he gets another one. But uh, Peter has the vision of the unclean animals that mm -hmm. are being lowered on the sheet. Um, and then we just go back to Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. This is not new, but it's also not super common. So do you think you or I could have a similar experience and be caught up in spirit to the throne room of God? I think we can be caught up in spirit into the throne room of God, but we can't add anything to the Word. Right. Right. And I guess the way I look at it is, if God wants me to come visit him, he's going to make it happen. You know, there's, there's one example that comes to the top of my mind of God wanting somebody to be in a certain location, and it's Philip. And he don't know how he got there, and, and he doesn't know how he got to the next location. Well, he wanted to go one direction, mm -hmm. and the Spirit said, no, you've got to go the other way. And so he turns, goes the other way, finds the eunuch, shares the gospel with him, baptizes him, and then, boop, now he's in, a, now he's in the place he wanted to go to in the first place. So if God wants us somewhere, he's going to make sure we're there. Many times Paul wanted to go in a different direction. <laughs> That's he, right. He wanted to go... Macedonia, India. Yeah, he wanted to go towards India. Right. And God wouldn't let him. That, that was Thomas. Thomas went to mm -hmm. India. So, so could it be possible for us to be in spirit and be in the throne room? Yes. Not under our own power. No. But yes. Yes, it is. Anything is possible <laughs> Anything with God. Anything is possible. If you pray, you better pray knowing that anything, all things are possible with God. Right. And I will say, I like this question because when you read this account in Revelation, you are given some physical, visual description of what John sees. And I have many times in prayer and in worship closed my eyes 
and tried to picture the things that John describes so that I know I'm oriented right. You know, I try to picture God sitting on the throne and the rainbow that that surrounds it, the the 24 the 24 thrones that surround him, the elders that sit on him, the the seraphim that are there, um, the creatures with all the eyes and the wings and just the bizarre descriptions and out of this world, completely and totally out of this world. And it's really amazing that I can kind of picture some things, but I don't ever get a full picture of anything. And it helps me to to get my heart right, especially if I'm struggling with, with heart stuff, because we all do. It happens. Um, but I don't ever feel like I'm actually there. It feels like looking through a telescope and just reaffirming, okay, John said this is what it is. I can look through this telescope and I can see it in bits and pieces and in piecemeal, but I never get the whole picture and I'm never actually there. But gosh, wanting to be there and just trying to put that in my heart just makes a world of difference when I'm struggling with worship, when I'm struggling with prayer. It's interesting. I came to accept Jesus Christ as Savior when I was 18. Right. And that was because push came to shelf. Yep. Had a motorcycle accident. It was do or die. I didn't want to die, so we did. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But... um, from there, I went to a Christian liberal arts college, okay. supposedly to try to learn about God. Became more confusing. Right. Sometimes education about God doesn't mean you learn to know God. Right. Okay. Graduated from there, worked in a couple of different ministries. Um, but um, I had this desire that I needed to have, in my own mind, I didn't have the right tools that I needed for the ministry work that I was doing. Right. So I wanted to find out where can I get these tools. And I was directed to go to seminary. I really didn't want to go to seminary. I wanted basically a short, quick course. So I went to seminary, and um, I learned two things that are imperative to a Christian's faith. Okay. Why is it that I went through four years of Christian liberal art college and I went to church and these two things I didn't know about? The one thing is life in the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. I knew about the Holy Spirit, but I didn't know you could have life in the Holy Spirit. Right. And what that meant. First, where rubber meets the road. 
I was asked by a man in the seminary, what gives you the authority to pray when you pray? Everybody knows the answer to that. What's that authority? Christ. Jesus is the authority. Yep. The man says, that's correct. He says, how do you get God's attention? He says, Jesus gets God's attention. Right. That is correct. The man says to me, why should they listen to you? And I says, well, I said, I got no really earthly claim of why they should listen to me other than the fact is I says, I put my trust in Jesus. Right. He says, that's correct. He says, but what are you praying about? I says, whatever comes to mind. And he says, well, I'm glad you're praying about whatever comes to mind. He says, how'd you get in? What? He says, who let you in? I says, I would like to think that Jesus let me in. He says, there's something missing, son. I says, what's missing? Mm -hmm. He says, you have a guide. And you didn't ask your guide to guide you. So the thing is, is that guide is called the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And you need to rely upon that guide whenever you're going to want to petition the God of heaven, even through his own son. Yes. I says, okay. He said to me, he said, he says, did you, ever, did you read the word today? I says, yes. He says, what happened? I says, you mean what did I learn? He says, no. He says, I said, what happened? I says, what always happens? I says, I read the words, I think about what I read, and I says, and then I go on with my day. <laughs> he says, so he said, you read the word, he says, but did you read the living word? I says, no, I read the Bible. I says, it's not living, it's just the Bible. He says, that's where you make your mistake. Yep. He says, it's the living word. He says, what makes it alive is, he says, if you read it through the eyes and through the ears and through the heart of the Holy Spirit, which you have to ask for mm -hmm. before you go and read it. Otherwise, you're only reading based upon your own abilities to understand. Right. Which are sorely neglectful. No kidding. He said, so that's the, fir that's the first thing you need to understand. He says, when you pray. He says, can you think that you have the right just because Jesus saved you to just barge in on an important meeting? It's never looked at it that way before. I just figure, you know, God's my private God. He's just sitting there waiting for me to show up. So I show up. He says, well, he says, I'm glad you feel that God's door is open. Mm -hmm. He says, but he says, you again, he says, you need to rely upon the Holy Spirit to accompany right. you, okay, into the throne room of God. Right. Because believe it or not, God does have a protocol. He does. He does have an emergency number, though. He says, but you can't use it every day. <laughs> well, 
And I don't disagree with that, but I would add that God does love us and he wants to hear hear from us. As a matter of fact, he commands us to talk to him and and prayer is an obedience. So there's never a wrong time to pray. Oh, there's never a wrong time. Okay, there's a wrong attitude sometimes. Right. And that we've talked at length about that. Mm-hmm. We need we need to just make sure that we are you know, like I just talked about, we're we're aligned properly with God's will. Mm-hmm. And if we take the time to do that, like you say, ask the Spirit, help me to pray. Jesus, talk to God for me. Here's what's going on. Then, then we're always good. You know, it can be that simple. You know, sometimes we hide behind our structure. We do. And we say, well, I do it this way because it's safe. Mm-hmm. But in reality, what we're saying is we don't want to be challenged. Right. Because if we're honest, if we're really honest with God, we got to be willing to accept this challenge. Oh, certainly. So, who sets the ground rules? God does. God does. And what's the one of the major criterias of ground rules that come before God? Well, Jesus said pretty clearly, nobody comes to the Father except through me. It's called humility. Yep. You have to humble yourself to come before God. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, is, is that... Our sins are covered right. by the blood of Jesus. Yes. If we don't have, if we haven't claimed the blood of Jesus to cover our sins, we have no place before God. Right. However, what's interesting is, is there comes that moment that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. Yes, he did. Right. But you got to come to that point of understanding. I find it interesting that... Even a person like myself who didn't understand churchy things, I learned to not trust them as a child because I figured they were all very manipulative. Somewhere along the way, I just kind of knew that um, there was a good God. I just didn't know how to get his attention. And you know what? He decided to get mine. (laughs) I would say he did. I would say he did. Well, let's let's move on with our... Well, we've been talking about this roundabout without really talking about it. <laughs> yeah, we kind of have been. Yeah, we have been. But the thing is, 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 is that when we pray, okay, it's a physical action in the spirit. It's a yes. physical action in the spirit, okay? And the fact is, is, is that God many times can speak to our spirit. And our spirit will understand mm-hmm. what our own minds cannot process. Right. But you know what? Sometimes you don't need to know what the answer is. Right. All you need to know is, is, is that God has you in his hand. Mm-hmm. And even though you don't understand what's going to happen next, you have to entrust the fact that you know 
because of the time that you spent with God that he has you in his hand. That doesn't change your circumstances. Right. Okay? But it does change your heart. Yep. Yep. All right. So do you want me to read a little bit of this? Yeah, go ahead and read just a summation. And then we'll talk we'll talk a little bit more about after you read the summation. We probably won't get into part two today. Okay. So John's in the spirit and he walks through the door into heaven. There's a throne described looking like many gems that's surrounded by a rainbow. There's a person sitting on the throne who is God. Um, and he also describes 12 more thrones saying the elders uh my translation says around the throne there are 24 thrones and seated on the thrones are 24 elders. Um, so you've got two sets of 12. Elders? We, we, can, we can assume who's on those, but we don't know for sure. Um, they're all dressed in white, wearing crowns. There's a very powerful sound. That is energy uh, coming from the throne. He sees angels. He sees the lampstand, seven of them, seven spirits. Um, Ever wonder why there's both seven? Seven spirits, seven lampstands. You know numerology. What's the significance of that number? Well, seven is the number of completion. And if we go back into the letters, there was seven stars with seven lampstands and the lampstands represented the churches and the stars represented the angels that were covering those churches. And there's some pretty specific things that are going on with that. But what's the number of man? Six. What's the number of God? Seven. That's right. <laughs> so uh, the living creatures full of eyes front and behind. Um very bizarre. Very bizarre. Very bizarre. And day and night without ceasing, they are worshiping God. Why so many eyes? I have no idea. Well, they sure kept their eye on things, didn't they? Yeah, nothing gets past them. Nothing got past them. You nothing can't, got past them. You can't fool them. What's their position before the throne? Think about it. What are they doing? They're worshiping. So they're probably kneeling. Mm -hmm. Ezekiel gets into a little broader description yes. of these characters. Mm -hmm. are, these, are these creatures, we know that they're worshiping creatures. Right. Correct? But could they also be defensive creatures? Protective creatures. Just a thought. Just a wonder. My, my knee-jerk reaction is probably not. I've always wondered about why so many eyes. Maybe it's, maybe it's metaphorical. 
Maybe it's uh, they have eyes pointing in every direction, yet in every direction they see God on his throne. But under Ezekiel's description of these these creatures, mm -hmm. what are they doing with their eyes? They have six wings under Ezekiel's description. What are they doing with with their eyes? I don't remember. Are they they're covered? Cover, they're covering their eyes. They're covering their eyes. Yeah, with one set of wings. So I'm sitting there saying, why are these eyes so important? I guess someday when we have the opportunity to walk through the door, that question might have to be asked. Drives me nuts. Okay. But what are eyes for? For seeing. And what does seeing do? Uh, seeing is, there's a lot of understanding in seeing. It creates awareness. Mm -hmm. And I've heard, but I don't know, I've heard that an eagle flying high, soaring in the air, God's made his eyes so he could zero in on the smallest thing on the ground from high up in the air and he can get a beat mm -hmm. on it, get a focus on it. Uh, yeah, the... The classification of birds um, known as raptors have some sort of telescoping vision. So that I have I have heard that as well. So I sit and I think this song, his eye is on the sparrow. Mm -hmm. And I know he watches me. And not a hair from your head, he doesn't see fall. Right. Just like every sparrow, every bird that falls. He sees. So, right. So the reality is, is, is that if his eye is on the sparrow and he watches me, what is our eyes upon? Should be upon our, him. What are our eyes upon? They should be on him. They should be on him. But what happens? Uh, yeah, we well, take our eyes off of the prize yeah, life, all the time. Life, don't gets, we? life gets in the way. And subsequently, when life gets in the way, we react to it. But if we were looking through the lens of God, mm -hmm. we would respond correctly to it. Yes, we certainly would. And normally, God is trying to bail me out of the mess that I made of it because I was like Peter. I took my eyes off of the Lord and I sank. Yep. Yep. Yep, and then uh, he asked to pick me up off of the muck and the mire and set me back on solid ground. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. I found that interesting when it talks about the the seven spirits, okay? Okay. That what they represent in Isaiah. He talks about it in Revelation 5, 6, and he calls it the seven eyes of Jesus, but... Yeah, the seven eyes, what is it? the seven eyes of Jesus sent into the world as the Holy Spirit. But then Isaiah explains it. Okay. Because Isaiah, he, he explains what these seven eyes are, and he says that the seven spirits represent, number one, the Lord. Number two, wisdom. Number three, understanding. Number four, counsel. Number five, power. Number six, knowledge. And number seven, Fear of the Lord. Did you, ever think, did you ever think if this is represented by the Holy Spirit 
and the Holy Spirit lives in us. What do we have? We have all of those seven things if we rely upon the Holy Spirit. Yep. If we don't rely upon the Holy Spirit, what do we have? We don't have those things. All we have is basically our own knowledge base. Right. And from our own knowledge base, can we worship in spirit and in truth? No. What's We're missing? woefully inadequate. What's missing? The spirit. The spirit is missing. You can actually have the Bible. You can have the truth. But you can't have true worship because you have, don't have the spirit. You haven't acknowledged the spirit. Right. Well, if you try to read the read the Bible, you can't figure it without out. the spirit. It reads as foolishness. That's right, because the real answer is between the lines. It's not what you see; it's what you don't see. Right. It's whatever the spirit reveals to you, which exactly. is why it's a living word, and which is why when you go back and um, I know people that. You know, regularly a couple times a year, take one month and read a chapter of Proverbs every month mm-hmm. or every day, every day right. for a month. And they do that two, three times a year. Um, and it's different. They get something out of it every single time they do it. The first week after I said the Lord's Prayer, the, Lord's prayer, the prayer of confession. Right. Okay. The person who was discipling me, he said, I want you to read First John every day for yep. a month. I says, why do I got to keep reading it? I says, for a month, every day. He says, so you can get it. Yep. He says, what am I supposed to get? He says, just read it. He says, I'm not going to tell you what you're going to get. He says... You'll know what you've gotten once you've done it. Once you found it, you know what you got. What you got. Yep. And I says, Absolutely. I, I says, isn't there any any easier way to do this? <laughs> and he says, well, he says, you can take the easy way. He says, but when you take the easy way, he says, you're going to be leaving nuggets on the ground. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand what he said, but he held me accountable. Well, the... You know, the Israelites didn't side with Moses and Joshua and Caleb and ended up taking a shortcut through the desert for the next 40 years when they were next door to the promised land. Mm -hmm. That's, there isn't an easy way. There's the kind of hard way, and then there's the really hard way. And I can tell you, from my life, I can... I can give examples. I'll, I'll spare it right now, but I can give examples. I tried to take the easy way out and just ended up making everything harder. I wasn't quite sure before I got to learn about Christ mm-hmm. and got to learn about who his father was. what God was all about. Right. I think that in many ways prior to that, he was more like of a mythical figure. But the reality is is, is that through trial, 
I learned that he was no myth. Mm -hmm. And in reality, you learn that if you think you can manage your day without him, you're basically a target. Something bad will happen to you today because you haven't relied upon him to go with you. And you know what? Yep. I think the Holy Spirit has many eyes to see. And the Holy Spirit can see what we can't see. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things the Holy Spirit sees is he knows where the enemy's at. He does. And uh, in that, I just was reminded of something that uh, I heard once upon a time. And it gives kind of a funny visual. But it's effective. And that is trying to live one day without God is like trying to dribble a football. You can't dribble a football. <laughs> it won't bounce. It'll it, bounce. It, it'll bounce. But it won't bounce it, under control. <laughs> no, it's not going to go where you want it to go. And so like it gives a pretty, pretty funny visual of somebody trying to dribble a football. But... I, I would say that, you know, dribbling a football is infinitely easier than trying to live one day without God. But most people live every day without God. Sure they do. And they don't they don't realize they don't realize the difficulty that they're putting themselves through. Yeah, and what is their day like? Right. Exhausting. Mm-hmm. Not saying that a Christian's day doesn't get exhausting sometimes. Except that you know where your strength comes from. Right. And your strength doesn't come from yourself. It comes from the Lord. You know, there's many times I'm sure that you have and I have that we've been physically spent on a given day. Yes. But we may, we may have. We may have just enough energy to come close to God. And in that time that we come close to God, we forget how spent we are mm -hmm. because it's God holding us up. Right. It is. And I know I beat this drum a lot. Read your Bible. Doesn't matter what you're reading. Read it. God will talk to you. And... You know, the only caveat that I put out there is uh, if you are struggling with depression, don't read Job. Or, lamenta or Lamentations. <laughs> I would disagree on Lamentations, but don't read Job. That If you read Job before you get depressed, it will help. If you read Job while you're depressed, it's just going to make it worse. Mm -hmm. Right? There's... Um, there's plenty in the Psalms. Just randomly pick one. Um, and well, if you and if you end up randomly picking one that is that goes through every letter of the Hebrew alphabet, take it a piece at a time. Um, but I was I was actually going to say the opposite. Even Lamentations, because Job does say not to Jeremiah does say some good things about the Lord and Lamentations. 
some things. Exactly. And he speaks, you know, in the first couple chapters especially, he's speaking from the perspective, from the voice of Jerusalem and confessing on behalf of his city and the people that he loves and the destruction that he's seen take place. And I don't know. To me, Lamentations is just really beautiful. And maybe I'm just crazy. But um, no, read, they, your, read your Bible. They don't call you crazy. They call you touched. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, bless my heart, right? Um, but there's just so much. There's so much good. And... Uh, I had, you know, you hear people say that if if you're going to read the Bible and you don't know what to read, just flip it open and and read whatever comes up. And I've heard arguments for that, and I've heard arguments against that. And I'm going to say go ahead and do that, because nine times out of ten, you're going to land in the Psalms, and there's nothing but good to find there. I didn't know that randomly you could drop the Bible and it would open the Psalms. Well, Psalms is a major portion of the Bible, and it's also right in the middle. So statistically, if you were to randomly open, people tend to randomly open towards the middle, and you're going to find the Psalms. If you dropped it on the ground with the proportion of the pages printed, mm -hmm. make it open, making open the stomps. Yep. Then it's a physical, practical equation. Yep. For every action is a reaction, and based upon positioning, then that's the reaction. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And... Uh, you know, I don't, uh, I don't believe much in luck. I don't believe much in chance. So if you do what Steve said and just drop it and just read whatever it opens to, you're going to find something good. You're probably going to find something kind of close to what God is trying to tell you and what you need to hear. Oftentimes, oftentimes when I'm not confused, but concerned or I have a question or I just don't know where I need to be in the Word on a particular day. Mm -hmm. I'll pray and the Spirit will speak to me to go and read a book, a chapter, a section, even a verse. But I don't know what I'm in store for. Right. Because I don't have it memorized. But what's interesting is, is is that when I ask the Holy Spirit to lead me to what it is I need to look at in order for the Spirit to get my attention so he can teach me. Right. Okay. He usually does. Right. Now, I'm kind of a funny guy. Okay. I believe in starting with number one and finishing it the last number. 
of a chapter. Mm-hmm. And I believe on a book starting with the first chapter of the book and ending at the last chapter of the book, don't disturb my system. <laughs> <laughs> but the Holy Spirit uh, knows who I am, and he'll go along with that until right. he says, we need to talk. Yes. And this is where you need to be so we can begin to talk. Yep. And that's and that's where I'm trying to make the point all the time. I think the Bible is an anthology. It is a curated collection. Um, not necessarily a library. It's more in depth than that. But it's not just a book. When I first became a Christian, mm-hmm. even before I first became a Christian, my mindset was that you could negotiate, you could make a deal on anything. Yep. And as an early Christian, God would humor me okay. by making me thinking thinking I was winning this negotiation. <laughs> okay, yeah. This deal. But what happened is as I became more knowledgeable on who God is and how he works, and on his word, there came a point in time where I said, well, God, let's make a deal. And he says, it's time for no more deals. Uh-huh. He says, just do it. Yep. <laughs> and so when you, when you mature in Christ, you really kind of know what he wants you to do. But he'll remind you that just do it. Mm-hmm. And some of those things aren't easy. Right. Yeah. They require effort. You personally gain nothing. Right. Oftentimes you give up something. But right. that's what God is asking you to do. Just do it. Just do it. I'm, that's going to bring us right back into Revelation chapter 4. Because we talked about the creatures. We talked about the worshiping mm-hmm. and their posture. And... Every time these creatures start praising God and glorifying God, you've got these elders whose thrones surround the Mm -hmm. one throne, and they take off the crowns that they're wearing, and they cast them down at the foot of the one throne, the throne of God. And then they worship and saying, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And really emphasize what strikes me on that, especially when you're talking about when God tells you, just do it. And sometimes we have to give up something. These 24 elders are giving up their crown. They are giving up that which signifies that they are worthy to sit in the throne, in the throne room, next, you know, in some close proximity to God on their thrones. But what's interesting is we go back to the very beginning of verse 9. It says, and whenever the living creatures give glory, God gives them their crowns back. So whatever God has for us to give up, he will give back to us. Whether this life or the next, that's not for me to say. 
right, some things God returns to us here in this temporal life, and sometimes he gives it back on the other side of the door. And usually when he gives back, it's magnified because it's it's been touched by God's glory, and it's a gift of God's glory. And so don't be afraid to give it up. Whatever God, I just feel this weighing on me right now. Whatever, somebody's listening, whatever God has called you to give up, give it up. I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's money or power or alcohol or cigarettes or whatever. It could I don't, be. Maybe, maybe it's an heirloom. I don't know. It could what, be an attitude. It could be an attitude. It could be, it, it could be a bitterness. It could be unforgiveness. But there's something being held on to that you need to let go of. And whatever it is that you let go of, what you think you're letting go of, God's going to return the glorified version to you, whether this life or the next, but it's going to be so much worth it to give up what you think you're holding on to now to get what you're going to get later. Felt like I had to say it. You could say, whether you know it or not, Mm -hmm. it could be the test of the crown. It could be. It could be the test of the crown. Are you willing to throw your crown to God? You're giving up something. You're giving up. But what does God do? He gives it back. Gives it back. He gives it back. And no doubt it's better than it was before. Maybe he polishes it before he gives it back. (laughs) I would certainly say... (laughs) I would certainly say it's been polished. Uh-huh. If it's been through the hands of God, the literal hands of God, then yes, it has been polished for sure. All right. Is there anything? Kind of kind of feel like we might be at a stopping point. Is there any final points that you want to make? I said that this vision yes. requires digestion. It does. Which means it's a process for you to go through. Yep. To learn from. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the Bible and the Bible says if you're refined, you will come out on the other side as pure gold. Yes. And you know what? Being a Christian is all about refinement. It is all about refinement and just in the spirit of that We think, we think we know what pure gold looks like. But I would point out that uh, I'm just trying to talk and read here at the same time. Um... The streets on which the new Jerusalem are built are made of a gold Mm -hmm. so pure that it's like glass in its clarity. Mm -hmm. You can see through it. So we think we know what pure gold looks like, 
because we've seen seen that shiny yellow stuff in bar form or on a ring on your hand. The yellow is actually an impurity. The purest gold is crystal clear. What is the most valuable gold on earth? It's not called gold, but it is gold. What's that? Platinum. Yep. White gold. So, just thinking of that, we know, we think we know Mm -hmm. what that refinement looks like. But if it takes that much refinement and it's still impure, how much more is it going to take? And how is gold refined? And how much and how much more impossible is it for us to achieve that end, especially on our own? We can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. We absolutely can't. Nope. But we should expect the fact that we're going to be refined. Yes. If in, if in fact we want all that God wants for us. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Next week. Next week. Barring emergency snowstorms are freezed out. (laughs) (laughs) Our next installment, we're going to be talking about that sea of flowing glass that's at the base of the throne. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you very much for coming in, Steve. Great to talk to you again, as always. Thank you, Dustin. My pleasure.